This is the fear of science. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Fear of Science, the podcast that brings together scientists, comedians, and special guests for an unfiltered discussion about complicated and sometimes controversial science fears in a fun and respectful way. My name is Daniel Chai. And I'm Jeff Porter. And today on The Fear of Science, uh, we are very lucky to be joined by two special guests to dive into a very important subject that uh, can definitely be one that uh, can be a little bit hard to talk about, but again, is very important to talk about. That episode is... The Fear of Consent. So, yeah. Well, first, uh, let's introduce uh, both of our guests. Who do we have joining us on our virtual Zoom slash Zencaster uh, podcast tonight, today, tonight? <laughs> I'm Emma Cooper. I am a comedian from Vancouver, uh, unceded Coast Salish territory. And I also host and produce a show called Rape is Real and Everywhere, which is more fun than it sounds, uh, but it's stand-up comedians talking about their personal experiences and joking about uh, sexual assault and harassment for cathartic laughs. Awesome. And I'm Julie Peters, and I am a uh, writer, uh, usually living in Vancouver, not currently there, but um, I run a yoga studio in Vancouver called Ocean and Crow. And uh, last year, I wrote a book called Want, Eight Steps to Recovering Desire, Passion, and Pleasure After Sexual Assault, um, which is just my very personal journey of sort of my, my experience of how I, how I kind of got through that experience to, um, I don't know if the other side of it is the right sort of term, but to where I'm at with it now. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's who I am. Awesome. Well, welcome, both of you. Thank you both very much for, for joining us. Now, uh, Jeff, thanks uh, for, for bringing us together for this subject. Uh, Jeff, one of the things that I'm starting to do with these various spheres of, of science topics is to check in with you uh, at the start and see what inspired you to, uh, to have this be one of our topics. It's, again, a very important uh, subject, but uh, why is it something that you wanted to chat about with our special guest today? Yeah, I think consent is just really important to understand and to talk about and to make sure that everybody is on the same page and fully understand what we're talking about when we say consent. Um, It's something I think about a lot in my cosplay life, actually, um, because uh, cosplay is not consent is is a very um, real thing in the cosplay community. So Excellent. Thank you. Now, uh, for for our special guests um, and for for Jeff, uh, you know, the the subject of consent is definitely uh, a a topic that some people can feel is is like a a hot potato subject or they don't quite know how to talk about it. Some people are even afraid of even uh, afraid of consent or afraid of having to talk about it. Uh, Why uh, for both Emma and Julie? Uh, why do you feel that it is like this, uh, you know, here in 2020 and, you know, and beyond? Why is it still so hard to talk about? Because if you get consent, you're not going to get laid. 
<laughs> Sorry. Oh, that was another guest on the podcast. <laughs> Who was that? Someone popped in. Uh, <laughs> no, I do. I think there's something to that, though, where people are scared that they're not. Um, if, uh, if we read out cards um, at Rape is Real written by other people, and one of the cards, um, and I'm paraphrasing, basically said uh, he. He, he he tried to have a kind of sex with me that I didn't invite. And when I asked him why he didn't ask first, he said, well, you would have said no. And I feel like that is why yeah. some people struggle with consent is they feel like if they ask, they're not going to get what they want. Um, and they haven't thought through how messed up that is. Yeah. And I think that part of the problem too is that we don't really know what we mean when we talk about consent. I think it is kind of a difficult thing to define or to understand. And I think a lot of people assume that having those conversations about consent will somehow ruin the mood, I guess, or like make, make people feel uncomfortable. Um, and I think that the way, that, I actually think that the way that we've been talking about consent um, is a little incomplete. Like I think it is a really uh, complex topic that's worth really kind of getting into and and exploring a little bit because I think uh, when we talk about it, it's just like, well, you ask and then someone says yes or no. Um, I think that's too simplistic of a definition because for me, what consent means is that all parties involved in whatever the situation is are fully present in their own bodies. So they know what yes or no is. And then they feel safe and capable of saying yes or no and whatever that looks like in whatever way that you can say that. And I, I, for me, that definition is aspirational because I don't think we live in a culture that really um, uh, supports that very much. Like, I don't think we live in a culture that supports us genuinely feeling what we feel in our bodies and being honest with each other about that. Um, and so for me, I think that, like, that's the, the consent that I want to sort of aspire to, but I don't, I don't think it's easy in the culture that we currently live in. So I think it is really hard to talk about. I, I also wonder, you know, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, and my knowledge of it is still growing. I'm still learning, and I'm I'm grateful to have uh, our special guest join us on the Fair of Science, so that I and our listeners can learn. Um, but when did this, uh, or when did the mo- Is there a modern definition of consent? Um, has consent always been, you know? Uh, you know, something culturally that has been a little bit like taboo and or trying to um, ask for consent or even the concept of even asking instead of just taking, you know, the whole uh, idea of, you know, a, a caveman hitting someone over the head and dragging them back to the cave, you know. Um, and some people are still into that and God bless them. I just think you have to get the <laughs> consent before you do the head hitting thing, right? right. Like that's yeah. just... You can still do We're that. We're not here to king shame. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> to king shame. Get your Tarzan outfit on. Do it up. You know, get a foam bat. Whatever you need to do. But again, on board. ask consent, right? Yeah, but, get the yeah, consent before. Yeah. You just have to plan. I, some people we don't like to plan. I think the best <laughs> definition uh, that I've heard, and this is a very serious definition, uh, was um, from Taylor Tomlinson, who said, "Consent is a noise that she makes, not a feeling you feel." <laughs> anyway, mm. that's a joke, um, but it's. I, I just love that so much. I mean, it doesn't, obviously uh, it implies it's, it is just a joke, but it's, 
it's like it's it's getting beyond you know i don't no one wants to be the person who tries to like perfectly define consent i think because it is evolving and we have we're we've been so bad at um uh in you know sort of north american culture like really enacting it and living it uh, in a great way so i don't know if you'd really want to like put a definition down and be like if you learn this you're fine i think it's okay right. that it's messy and i think it's okay that it's ongoing um because it, it is it's 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 a conversation between the two or however many people happen to be like engaging in whatever the heck you're up to in all that caveman play i guess yeah right yeah and i think a lot of it too is just like it's so situational like you have to essentially just don't be a dumbass if you're in a situation that doesn't feel comfortable and if you're kind of feeling icky about what's happening then maybe you should do a check-in with the other person to make sure it's all going all right rather than just going forward with it right i like how you said don't be a dumb ask like that's not a huge ask of the populace yeah. <laughs> so that's a big ask and we're all I'm i sorry, i didn't know it was that big it's a big ask <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say, I think um, part of the issue around consent is that um, it has been so, or like the opposite of consent has been so thoroughly conditioned into us. Um, I think when we're talking about consent, we're talking about some gendered conditioning for sure. Um, and mm. also some like eroticization of non-consensual stuff. Um, so, you know, if you if you look at pretty much any um, popular movie from the 80s, <laughs> there's inevitably you know, some guy being like, oh, you know, this girl has passed out upstairs, like drunk, like go at her or whatever. And that's supposed to be like a bro-y moment that's supposed to be funny. Um, and in retrospect, of course, that's not funny. It's extremely disturbing, but that's a, it's really common for, for those types of movies. And a lot of the time, the like sexiest moment is when she's is like a woman is being taken uh, violently by um, a man usually. And so I think a lot of us have kind of grown up with this model around like heterosexual sexual pairings and it being like he has to do this set number of things. And if anyone pauses to say, like, are you OK, <laughs> that that completely destroys the like erotic mood that we have been conditioned to think is erotic. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think I think the whole idea of consent is kind of new, like we are. And I think, like Emma said, like it is something that should be evolving because it is new for us and we don't totally um I th and I mean, again, I think that like in order to really understand it, we have to understand ourselves, like we have to be able to check in with how we feel physically. Um, and, you know, just to share a little bit from from my experience of kind of looking back on what happened to me around uh, my experience of sexual assault. A lot of what was happening for me is that there were a lot of reasons why I didn't feel like I could say no or like fight or run away. Um, I felt like there was a lot of sort of I, you know, owe him something or he feels that he deserves this from me. And so I have to play out this kind of role. Um, and, you know, I think it's wonderful that now we're thinking about this as something that like, oh, maybe we don't have to be like that with our sexuality. Maybe we don't. Maybe it's not about who owes someone what. But rather, like, how do you feel in this moment? Do you feel safe? Do you feel comfortable? How are we communicating? Um, and I think that it's, like, awesome that, you know, there's so much good conversation happening around that. But a lot of people feel uncomfortable because they're like, well, but the narrative that I've always known and, like, every movie I've ever seen, like, from this previous generation uh, shows a particular eroticized type of sex that is non-consensual. Yeah. And I, I think your 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 point too is so good of like, and it's not even just going back to like movies like Porky's or whatever from the 80s. It's like, I remember watching like, 
a children's movie like Beethoven three or something. And like the, the teen daughter is about to get raped and then dog rips the side, like the whole front of a house, like rips off the front of a house and it all comes tumbling down and that's how the rape stops. But not everyone has like a really muscular St. Bernard, you know what I mean? So it's like, or, we have or to... a really weak house. It was, yeah, it was on stilts <laughs> or something. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it is like, it's when you ask about why are people afraid of consent too, it's like kind of going back to is like, I'm 34 and that's not old, but like the start of like my understanding about consent was like limited conversations in school and some conversations with family and stuff like, which was good at the time, but it wasn't really robust in terms of talking about as many elements as we might try to talk about now in terms of enjoyment, in terms of communication and all that stuff. And also like, you know, anyone who's sort of been around the block, you know, for more than like since 2015 is like, oh yeah, we've all had all of these experiences that maybe are sketchy. And, and, and so now it's like, when you learn about consent as adult, you're also like kind of going back and being like, oh, not only are these movies really messed up, but like stuff I've been involved with is messed up. And it might've been that the power dynamic where I was more the underdog, or maybe I was taking advantage of people. Like, you know what I mean? You have to kind of look back now and kind of be like, oh, uh, what do I need to learn from like just the past? Oh, my own experiences. And that's uncomfortable for people. And like, I get why people don't necessarily want to do that work, but we kind of, we need everyone to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, that, you know, there is a lot of fear around, like, I think it's a really good thing that the Me Too conversation is happening and that people are being held accountable for their actions. And I think that there are some people who think, like, if I even begin to engage with this conversation, someone's going to accuse me of something and I'm going to, like, lose my job or whatever it is that people are afraid of. Um, and I think that, um, you know, it is really important to have that kind of complex engagement with it where you're not only thinking, like, what about when have I felt victimized, but also like, when have I maybe taken advantage of someone else? Or when have I, like, how many times have I been in a sexual situation when I wasn't fully present and aware of like how I was feeling, let alone how the other person was feeling? Like that Mm -hmm. could happen between anybody, right? And right now the conversation is really focused. Again, it's quite a heterosexually oriented conversation where it's like men abuse women and like it's in this unidirectional kind of way. Um, and it, there isn't necessarily, um, I mean, in some contexts, there's space for this type of conversation, but we don't necessarily often think about how, like, yes, men can also feel victimized, like women can also victimize, like people of any gender can be in any position. Um, mm-hmm. when, when we're engaging in these ways where it's like, you know, maybe I'm not present because I have trauma, you know, which might be real for a lot of people. Maybe I'm not present because I'm drunk or like I, you know, there's something else going on or there's a power dynamic in this relationship related to money or something like that. Like there's so many different reasons that you might be in a situation where you're not fully with that person present with yourself and that other person. And that is a really easy place for something non-consensual to happen. And it doesn't, it doesn't always mean someone is being a predator or being an asshole or being a dumbass, even like sometimes people are just not present for some reason and then something is happening and not to say that we shouldn't take responsibility when when those things happen, you know, the damage can be very serious, but mm-hmm. um, the intent isn't always there. Like people don't in, uh, don't usually intend to be non-consensual and yet it can happen anyway and it still matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what what Emma said as well was with uh, people not wanting to do the work, it's it's people being afraid of of not wanting to to realize because there's a big difference between um, not getting consent and Harvey Weinstein. 
and yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. like Harvey Weinstein knew what he was doing and and he was raping women and not getting consent in your past, you know, dealing with that that and confront and talking to the person and and dealing with that on your own, I think, is a lot different, right? Yeah, it's also fun to like listen as we talk about this because this is the kind of discussion where you're like, okay, so it's just like a it's like a cascading caveat discussion. You know what I mean? I like I like listening. It's like, oh, so we know that like we got to do this, but like not just men hurt people women can and also non-binary and and then it's it's so it's such that conversation where you're like trying to think of every possible permutation uh you know when it, whenever you talk about it and i and i also think that it's um part of that is because like you know it is a little it's a little scary to sort of say something wrong about this sort of stuff now and i'm yeah. really like not if you're going to put me in a camp i will i would i would rather go in the direction of like let's be too woke and I'll, you know, burn the bridges yeah. on that direction for sure. But I do think that, um, you know, we've had the benefit of like having a big explosion of people really saying some powerful stuff with me too. And we kind of like, we're right in the thick of that for a while. And as we move forward, it's like, okay, how do we, how do we have the conversations in, um, you know, in a way where we can ask some silly questions too, you know, because I think mm -hmm. we probably all have some really silly questions that we probably need to ask. And, and you know, and uh, how do we make it a little easier to do that? Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. Now, uh, uh, I wanted to take a moment for our listeners who may be curious, and I'm very curious as well, uh, to uh, check in with our special guests and learn a little bit more about uh, about their various uh, projects that uh, tie in with our subject today. Uh, so, Emma, again, you you are the creator uh, and showrunner, producer of Rape is Real, yep. uh, which is a comedy show that's performed across Canada and international. I don't know. If, I don't think we've done it in the States. No. So just Canada. Yeah. But Canada. almost every province except Saskatchewan. We didn't know anyone in Saskatchewan. So I'm sorry, Saskatchewan. No, come but, on, uh, Saskatchewan. I know. It was, it was our fault. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the show was started pre-Me Too. Um, myself and another comedian had a conversation and we're like, Hey, it would be funny if we could joke about this and, uh, just sort of, we went with it and, um, and it was, it was really powerful, especially pre me too, to kind of see people's initial reactions because it was very much like, Hey, can we even talk about this? And then when we got the comedians together who were really freaking courageous to kind of take a risk and do this show, um, the audience reaction every time was just kind of like, you know, the Maxwell like tapes where the guy's sitting in a on a couch but getting like blown back sonically it like felt like mm -hmm. that where people just were like they're almost like scream laughing at us um, because there wasn't that same kind of social media outpouring uh, kind of like release valve for all of the the pent-up kind of um, stories and energy and all that sort of stuff so it's been you know it's uh, it's a show that we've mounted at the fringe and toured across Canada um, gone to a few universities and things like that but uh, it's also a show that I, I don't do all the time because it's a it's a big old day because uh, if <laughs> you can't do it without actually going back into it and and feeling it because I've started the show when we got on the road and we started going across Canada I think it was like halfway through like we we're in Edmonton or something and I was like hey hey guys hobo rape and everyone was like oh no you don't you know because you still you can't joke about that stuff and you can't get into it um, without really coming from a yeah truthful vulnerable place and uh and so yeah in the conversation about consent I think they're always I think you know uh, 
I hope for more play in the conversation around consent, but it does mean that people have to have that capacity to like also be vulnerable. So it's, it's our, our ability to be vulnerable and, and check in with our feelings. Like Julie's been saying uh, is going to, is going to enhance our ability to kind of have more conversations, I think privately or in groups or in comedy shows or in books or wherever it is. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, I, I had a, uh, had the chance to check out the, the show at the Vancouver fringe in 2019 and not just saying it because you're on our wonderful podcast, but uh, the show was one of the most powerful, uh, impactful shows. And one of the shows where you're like, how is this not getting government funding to go to every single, you know, city <laughs> and university that needs this? Because um, I'm too lazy to apply for grants. That's the short answer. <laughs> I got to get my shit together. <laughs> well, but, thank uh, you, though. That's real nice. It's, um, yeah, you know, and I, I think that, you know, uh, uh, I think, you know, the subject of, uh, you know, of, of rape and consent, I think it is definitely something that, you know, needs to be, it is very hard to to do so, but I think it is important to talk about because it is real and it is everywhere. So let's not yeah. just keep it in the shadows. Let's, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and being able to joke about it too. I mean, I feel like comedy is such a useful place to take this topic because it gives it does give people that release valve like it's okay to laugh about this it's okay to like you know let your laughter be one of those places where you're processing your emotions as you're listening to something and uh, I think that's absolutely true and probably another reason why people fear talking about consent because when we start talking about it inevitably there might be something triggered from someone's past I mean this stuff is so so common for people to have experiences that are were like uncomfortable or uneasy all the way through the spectrum to fully, you know, violent and traumatic. And so, you know, having to um, have someone kind of remind you that that's there, like a lot of people just don't want to engage with that, which is fair because it can be a really intense thing to engage with. But I feel like through comedy is such a beautiful place to be having that conversation and inviting people into that room because that's a place where people can feel safe to have a response, which might be scream laughing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Now, uh, with with Julie, um, I, I would love it if you could share uh, a little bit more about your your book, Want, uh, Eight Steps to Recovering Desire, Passion, and Pleasure After Sexual Assault. What is, uh, 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 from the title, I, I'm, uh, I can get a little bit about what the book is about, but yeah, what in... Um, what is what is your hope that people get from reading your book? Yeah, so um, just sort of on that topic, I don't have any intentions of describing anything specific in this conversation. So, you know, um, obviously we're having this conversation, but um, I'm not going to be uh, giving any details about anything just because I know that can be quite uh, triggering for some people. Thank you. Um, so, uh, but what I will say about it is that I had an experience of sexual assault and um it took me a couple of years to even start to face the fact that that was true for me. It was something that I was really avoiding for a long time, um, which is a very common experience for trauma survivors of all types. But I think, I think at the time there just wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of resources. There weren't a lot of places where I felt like I could get help aside from like specific sexual assault centers or counseling. And I feel like now we're in a moment where there's so much more conversation about this that you can have a lot more support sort of socially around this. And so, you know, one of the big questions that I had around that time was like, okay, I know that I went through a thing, I'm dealing with it, I'm in counseling or whatever, 
but what about life after? Like, you know, I mean, one of my big questions is like, how am I supposed to have sex again after this? Like, how am I supposed mm. to date now? Like, do I tell people what happened? Like, how do I engage in these conversations? You know, is it safe to date anybody? Like, what is that supposed to look like? And so um, I, I did a lot of work around that. And I'm also a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher. And so I found that I was using a lot of my yoga and mindfulness tools to kind of like do a lot of the, the healing and recovery because, you know, any trauma, not just sexual trauma, but really the, the place where you have the trauma is in your body, right? And so you can do a lot of like talk therapy about it and you can resolve it to a great degree through talk therapy but there's something happening in your physical system that needs to be resolved as well so um for me yoga breathing not all yoga lots of yoga was bad that's sort of a whole other story um but but certain certain types of yoga practices that were very um you know based in like finding sensation and choice in my body uh, were really powerful and um, sort of through that, I was able to find my way into like, what is erotic energy in my body? What does that look like? How do I work with it in a way that doesn't feel like I'm re-traumatizing myself? Um, how do I have these conversations with people? What do I do with my rage? <laughs> you know, that was a really big question. Um, how does all this play into like the way that I eat or don't eat? Um, and so, uh, so I had been doing a lot of that work for a long time and then finally feeling ready to write the book um, it gave me an opportunity to just really like take all of those pieces, which I put into eight different steps um, and just talked about how each piece worked for, for me in my recovery. So the, the book is really intended to be um, a resource for people who've been through sexual assault or for people who want to help to support someone who's been through that or just want to understand it a little bit more. Um, and my like main point that I want to make in that book is that if you have experienced a sexual assault, yes, it's devastating. Yes, there are consequences, but your life is absolutely not over. And the process of going through recovery can come with so many beautiful learnings about your life or just things that you that change about you in a good way, um, that there's a lot of, you know, beauty and, and hope sort of on the other side of that. Um, which for me is very much like it's not about going back to something some before time that you know can't really exist it's more so about learning about yourself and that you know kind of going through this this process of gaining wisdom about who you are through the really intimate process of just like re-engaging with your relationship with your body after something traumatic happened so i really hope that the book is something that people can read and get some solace and some information and some resource and also it's just lots of stories from my life some of which I intend to be funny so my joke about the book is that it's the most fun book about sexual assault you'll ever read which I really do think is true <laughs> at least at this point that's awesome <laughs> that's my that's my not quite a guarantee but I, I'm pretty sure it will be that's awesome. thank you thank you so much for sharing I think you've got such a really cool take on it too. And I really resonate with the part of just saying like, it's not about going back to who you were. Cause I think that's probably something a lot of survivors can relate to is feeling like something was taken and I can never be the same as I was before. And just kind of trying to let that go and move forward to another version of what you're becoming is, is really, really powerful. And I've started reading your book and I'm uh, yeah, it's very, very cool. And uh, I, I, I've never finished a book in my life. So I'm about as far into your book as I've been into any book and it's great. So highly recommend as far as <laughs> if I could do book reviews for the first like three chapters of a book, I would love to do that, but I can't <laughs> they, they want you if to finish, you finish the, whole the thing. book. 
then that could be uh, a little review from Emma on it. I actually finished this book. First, yeah. first book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say, I mean, the first couple of chapters are like about survival and rage and all of this sort of heavy stuff. And then the second half of the book is like food, pleasure, sex, love. Like it's much more, I mean, there's mm-hmm. still, it's still heavy in it, but like if you can, if you can stick through to the later chapters, there's more stuff right. on the other side of the first <laughs> I like that. I like a carrot. I like a carrot yeah, at the yeah. end of the book. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can do it, Emma. Thank Thank you. I like that this turned into a support group for me reading. Thank you guys. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Now, um, I, I do have a, a, a question, uh, I think a question for, for all of us. Um, you know, dear, when the talk of, uh, during these conversations, um, and you know something something that that I hear and something that that people are saying is, um, like, you know, like a, a not asking other people to do the hard work for for you. So it's like it's like people who want to learn more about consent, people who want to learn, um, you know, about about you know, if they, if they think they did something wrong in the past, and then it's like, you know, um, well, they got to do the work. And people who have gone through these situations who, who have been sexually assaulted, um, you know, justifiably so, they're, you know, uh, for people who have had that happen to them, it's not always fair or even easy or even right for them to do all the hard work for mm-hmm. those of us who are wanting to learn. So, very so big. you got to start a podcast, and that's the message. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's, yeah. You ah, start it a podcast. It's just yeah. a, it's more there's of a long game. There's not many of them. You might as well. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a metaphor that I work with in my book, which is based on um, a little passage from a book called Birdie by Tracy Lindbergh. I think her name is. Um, and that book is about an indigenous woman who's sort of going through an experience of recovery after trauma. And there's this dream that she has where um, a wolf has come and peed on the home of an owl. And so the owl doesn't go home. Like the owl just keeps on just, uh, I forget what the word was. It's like searching and searching or or spinning and spinning, something like that. Um, Just not being able to come home. And when I read that, I was just like, oh my God, that's exactly what this feels like. It feels like there is wolf urine all over my home and I can't go home. I just don't want to go there. And there's this sort of feeling of like, nobody's going to clean this up but me. You know, like this is not the, I didn't make this mess. Like this wasn't my choice. I didn't do this to myself. Somebody did this to me and I'm the one that has to pick up the mop and like do this. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And that's something that to this day, it makes me mad. And also it's, you know, for a lot of survivors, it's like, well, I waited about four years before I picked up that mop, but then I started doing the work and the work was very worthwhile. But, um, you know, it, it can take a while to even be willing to to start doing that work, especially if you feel like this wasn't me, like I didn't do this. And that's the case for a lot of people. And also, I think part of it is really coming to understand that, like, so sexual assault specifically a lot of survivors of sexual trauma or many kinds of trauma think like this is something that just happened to me. Like it's because there's some, because I'm bad in some way, or like I made some mistake or I'm weak or I failed in some way. And that's why this happens. It's about me. But the truth about sexual assault that I think we do need to understand is that it's a symptom of a culture um, that is 
a lot of things. I mean, one of the things you can call it is misogynist or violent or, you know, a culture that is sort of anti, you know, people having bodies and having feelings and things like that. It's a lot of things, but it's not just about the individual person who had that experience. And so what that means is that we all participate in that culture and we all have work to do in terms of figuring out how to change that and how to evolve as a, as a culture. And so, you know, feeling like you don't want to do the work is fair. We don't have to do the work if we don't have the energy for it. Like we don't all have to be fully engaged in that all the time, but um, it is our, it's like, you know, if, if you've been hurt by someone, that's not your responsibility to hold it's theirs. And we can engage with like, what do I have control over? Where are the places where I feel like I have a voice? You know, what are some things that I can do to try to make my world a little bit better? And for me, that was a really important thing to to go through in my recovery, even after taking a really long time to not deal with it. That was a little bit of a rambling response to that. but There's not a lot of bullet points in like, how do we do the work? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's not like a tweet and like, oh, good. Okay, well, better retweet that. Now we're, we solved it. Let's move on to climate change. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, so, uh, I, you know, and again, another big follow-up question, because I think for such a big topic, I think a lot of, you know, uh, Julie, really great points about, you know, as, as, a, as a cis male, I can you know, I can nod and I can go, yes, I absolutely agree that, you know, um, a lot of societal stuff is um, so ingrained in in why things like consent and, and rape and uh, things happen. So big question. I don't know if there's an easy answer. I really doubt it, but what? <laughs> it's like, here it comes. We'll figure uh, it out. We'll figure it out now. I got uh, my, I got Twitter ready so we can share it. <laughs> uh, what, what does, what does society, what does society need to do in order to start getting towards that point um, of where consent is, is talked about consent is a normal everyday thing. You know, like uh, there were stories recently about um, in the States, there were some high schools that uh, that forbade any girls from turning down any of the boys from from at the school dance. So at the school Mm. dance, uh, it was it was a rule that the girls could not say no to any boy who asked them to dance. And, that and is, that is the a, opposite of what we want. Yeah, exactly. You, can, so, <laughs> you can't tell me new fresh shit to be mad about I'm when I'm on the microphone. I think that's at least two different schools that I... Oh, I that's believe. wild. Oh, God. So, you know, like uh, how, <laughs> you know, and I'm laughing because it's... it's if that's not, all I'm you gonna, can do. That's all you can do. But, yeah. you know, and, and the reason why is because there was a big outcry. And I'm glad that there was an outcry and I'm glad it did become a new story so people can examine it and look at it. But, you know, if if there was an easy answer, what can we do? What should we do in order to start making those steps? I'm still mad about the dance. (laughs) Like we're talking about that for the rest of this episode. No. Um, Oh. Oh, what was the question again? It's, uh, no, <laughs> joking. Uh, it's, yeah, I think, but I, I do think Julie's already kind of talked a bit about this is like, how do we, I mean, as you know, she's really done the work as a survivor going, okay, I've been burned. 
I'm going to pick up the pieces and do the work to sort of, sort of get myself back and get myself into a place where I want to be. And I think you have to do that as a survivor because it is a matter of survival um, because otherwise you might, you might find yourself not able to survive. So your, your, your hands a bit forced for some people in that, in that case. And I think what it's going to take is that um, everyone doing an element of that work without feeling like, they have to do it just because they are surviving. Like I, we, you know, it's, so people have to figure out a way to choose to do that work. And I think the, you know, we're, the way we seem to be kind of forcing people's hand a little bit to like take up that work is changing the culture and going like, it's now not cool, A, to assault people, B, to not know how to, talk to people and not to know some of the language and some of the basics of consent like now there's sort of an expectation so we've sort of been able to like raise the expectation for people but I do think it kind of starts with people doing that inner work uh, like Julie's mentioned feeling a feeling like we have uh, alienated everyone from their feelings a lot in sort of North American predominant culture especially men uh, and so how do we, how do we, how do we let y'all cry so that you don't hit people? Like, how do we, you know what I mean? Like, how do we, how do we do that shit? And it's, it's everyone trying to figure out where they need to do work and, and sit with some of that and do some of those pieces. And it, um, yeah, there's definitely no, uh, yeah, no easy fix, but it, I do think it sort of starts with people being able to, uh, yeah, identify their own feelings. And for me, as a passive person, that just means like, I need to be able to in real time work on knowing when I'm uncomfortable. And that is something I mm -hmm. need to go to therapy now to work on. So I have to pay someone more money than I want to. And she has to go like, yeah, how does that make you feel? And I go, I don't want to talk about it. And then I have to sit there and I have to feel a feeling. And like, it's, it's dumb, but I like, I need to do that because if I have a time delay of a day and a half or even a matter of hours about how I feel about something, I'm a lot more vulnerable. And it doesn't mean it's my fault if some bad shit happens, but it, it, it's something that I know as a 34 year old is part of my personality. And I have to work on that because I don't want to I don't want to be in that position and I'm fortunate enough to be able to like have some options to try to deal with that. So not victim blaming, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Mm. Like everyone's got a piece of work that they can start chipping away at and chewing on and whatever. Well, it's interesting because we've actually had a bunch of um, episodes where we kind of get down to it and a large amount of it is, is the fear is not of, of consent or whatever the topic is. It's, it's more, it's the fear of change. And we've actually done an episode on the fear of change. It's people not wanting to, to change the way they've lived their lives or the way they were raised or what they've seen on TV. Like that's, that's just the way, like I know this thing and this is what is right. And I don't want to think a different way. And, and it's just ridiculous. Why is change scary? Because you might have to feel a feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't <true>. want to. <laughs> I think that was yeah. me this entire first week of, of our uh, social distancing. Tell us about your feelings, thing. Daniel. Use your feeling <laughs> okay. words. So, so here, no. Uh, no, no, I'm serious. Use your feeling words. What was it? Tell us. <laughs> tell us all about it. It was, uh, uh, it was shell shock. Yep. And yeah, so, yeah. and that's, but that's not even like, how does that make your body feel? Oh. Uh, I know I, it sucks. Oh. I paid for this. You're getting this for free. It's <laughs> <laughs> a vastly untrained comedian. Um, I, I hope, you know, uh, uh, a lot of our conversation, you know, Jeff, as you mentioned, uh, you know, 
a lot of it goes to, you know, uh, a fear of change. And every time I have, every time we have these conversations, these conversations that uh, expand my mind and blow my mind and and make my my heart uh, uh, hurt a little bit, but also, you know, try and feel a little hopeful. A lot of it ends up with. I wish that I wish that um, therapy and counseling was covered by 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 medical by Medicare because uh, I, sure. I um, as as someone who has gone to to see counselors in a few few times in my life and has really really utilized it. And also, again, I completely value their time, but I'm also not made of money um, as a podcaster, obviously not, but the point is making big money. Um, but, but, you know, I, 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 I agree, you know, it's, um, you know, with, with what we're all saying is that, uh, we do have to start feeling those feelings and, and maybe we even need to, uh, start allowing ourselves to, uh, to look inside and, and find out our own definition of what consent is before we can even start working on it with other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I agree. And I'm a big believer in the personal is political sort of idea. And I think when we have a question like, you know, what should we do to fix this problem? Essentially, it can feel really, really big. And it can feel like, well, I don't know. So I'm just not going to do anything. Um, But, you know, one thing that we can do is explore self-consent, which I think we don't necessarily think about all that often. Um, But one of my chapters is about food in my book, because um, for me, food has been sort of a stress coping mechanism, like how I how I I, I'll like restrict food when I'm extremely anxious. Um, And so when I started to think like one of the ways I started to practice consent in my own life before I felt ready to do it with anyone else is like, when I am hungry, I will eat. When I am full, I will stop eating. And just thinking of it as like my body has internal consent cues all the time that I'm just not paying attention to and I'm overriding them because I'm trying not to feel my feelings. <laughs> and so, you know, what what does it look like if I listen to what my body is asking me for and just like fulfill the, the needs and requests and desires of my body? And when my body is saying, no, I don't like this, I feel uncomfortable, like have the choice to stop doing that thing, right? Um, and really deeply paying attention to those signals. Because of course they can get scrambled and like you don't always necessarily know how you feel. But just being in a practice of doing self-consent is like a political act, I think. Um, and when you're when you're thinking about that a lot with yourself, it's so much easier to translate that into treating someone else that way. Because you're thinking like, mm. well, you know, are you hungry? Like, do you want this food? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to sort of force you to eat it or whatever. Like you start thinking about how other people might be feeling about that stuff as well. And I feel like those small moments and those small ways that we model for each other, what consent might look like um, translates out into having these conversations in a much easier way that impacts people in a bigger way. And then I really think that people just do what they can. Like, you know, maybe, maybe you're an organizer, maybe you're somebody that would create a committee around consent at your local school or something like that. Maybe that's not your gift. Like maybe it's something else that that you want to do. Maybe you're having a podcast about (laughs) consent, right? Like all of these things matter a lot. Like they really help people to have these conversations and expand the conversation. So I think that, uh, you know, just doing what we can matters a lot, starting with ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're just the person who just checks in with people 
or like, you know, yeah. maybe you practice in the mirror a couple times, different cool ways to check in with people, you know, that makes you feel comfortable when you're actually with someone. So that, you know, like it's yeah, anything. I was having a text conversation with a friend of mine who was dating someone new and she was like, well, I just like, I can't figure out if he wants to kiss me or not. And like, I don't know, like we haven't kissed yet. Like, what should I do? Like, what's my move? And I was like, well, do you want to know what my move is? And she's like, yeah, definitely. Like, what's your move? And I was like, I asked, do you want to kiss me? It works like, every time. <laughs> you know, and she was just like, whoa, like, okay, I'll try that. Of course it works great. But, uh, you know, like, you know, you can have moves around consent that uh, people yeah, respond to. I, I think, you know, that's, that is a really great point to also bring up um, as we uh, slowly head towards the end of the uh, of this episode is that uh, consent consent can be sexy consent can mm-hmm. be um, consent can be uh, fun um, and also consent is not always necessarily just about sex there's lots of stuff um, yeah you know uh, cons- consent with friends consent with coworkers consent with family and again consent with ourselves so important. However, if you are talking about consent to sexy, maybe with a partner or partners, but I digress. <laughs> um, so my, you know, uh, uh, Julie, you made a, uh, thank you for, for sharing that with us. Um, I, I guess one of my final questions is for those who maybe uh, are, are listening and maybe aren't, you know, are like, do I even know what consent is or have I ever had, um, what this may sound like a very strange question, but what does what does consent feel like? What is what does consent look like when we do it? When we feel it? What does it? What is it? I think I don't know. I just think when I um, I think it looks like checking in. There's a I read a book of um, just like trans erotica short stories and there was one short story that was like two sex workers uh, engaging in sex and sort of when they were sitting they're like sitting around a fire in the story and one of the people is like hey do you maybe want to kind of hook up and the other person's like uh, I don't know and then they got to talking more and then the other person's like hey I'm not trying to push you but I just want to check in because it seems like the context has changed like would you like to do X or whatever? And they're like, actually, yes. But the reading the line where the person was like, I understand that you're a person who's probably kind of a people pleaser and I'm accounting for that in how I ask and how I approach you. Um, Mm. I I just like that got me because I think that is such a rare thing when whatever you're engaging in, I think sex is obviously like a more high stakes thing that you can do. Um, But when someone's going like, I see how you are, this is my impression of you and I'm going to try to like communicate with you and meet you in a way that respects and kind of, you know, accommodates you uh, a, a little bit. Um, I think I think that is just like, is, is really powerful and really, really beautiful and super sexy, super, super lovely and something that we should be, yeah, definitely, definitely striving for because it, whatever comes after that, if it happens to be sex, is going to be just a lot more connected, a lot more fun, a lot more interesting because I know myself, like I feel safe. If someone asks me a question where I'm like, oh, you're actually paying attention. I'm like, oh, well, like, let's go for it. Like whatever it is, I'm, I'm like yeah. so much more interested, so much more engaged, so much more game. So, you know, I think, yeah, I think it feels, I think it feels safe. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, had, I had a chance to do some research on, um, uh, sort of desire, like sexual desire and um, sexuality for my book. Um, and there's a great book called Come As You Are 
by Emily do our, oh my, yes. Sorry, I talked yes. over it. Say it again. I got all excited. Such a great book. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really good. Emily Nagoski. Um, the book is called Come As You Are. And um, she's mostly focusing on science that's been done on female sexuality, but it can translate along the spectrum. Um, and one of the major points is that um, in order to feel turned on, we have to feel safe. If we don't feel safe, just biologically, our reproductive systems are like, no, thank you. I have to do survival now. I'm not going to do sex right now. <laughs> um, and so yeah. having a consensual environment, which doesn't necessarily have to be, do you want to do this? Yes or no. Um, but being in an environment where, you know, there is checking in and you know that the other person cares about how you feel and is paying attention to how you feel um, can go a long way towards actually like helping someone to feel turned on. Um, because if there, as soon as there's pressure, as soon as there's like, you know, you owe me this, as soon as there's like manipulation or whatever, that's going to turn off the sex drive anyway. Um, and, you know, as I was saying before about um, being in our bodies, I think is really important. And with sex, a lot of us have learned to play a script rather than actually be present in our bodies, especially there's a, there's a specific heterosexual script that a lot of us pick up and we think that we have to follow through on. Um, and specifically for men, I think like it can be this really powerful script of like, it has to go like this and it has to, you know, she has to say yes or, you know, respond in this way or whatever, or else I'm not, I'm like losing my masculinity or something like it can be a very high stakes kind of script and a high stakes performance as well. Like I need to do all the techniques. I need to look this certain way. Like, um, and especially in a generation where I think a lot of people are learning about sex from porn, it's really easy to get into this super performative kind of zone with it. Um, but if we are actually present in our bodies and present with the other person's body, the thing that we can pay attention to is, does this person, like, are they tensing up, right? Like, even if someone's like, yes, sure, I'd like to do that, but their shoulders are up around their ears and they're like tensing their bodies, you can yeah. see that that's not really a consensual yes, right? It's sort of a people-pleasing yes or some other, other type of yes that's coming through. And so if you're in your body and you can feel into the other person's body, you'll know whether or not you need to check in a lot most of the time because you'll feel if the energy changes or the breath changes or the, the tension in the body changes or something like that. And then you can be um, you can be in the conversation not only with your words, which is super important, but also with like your breath and your body and the rhythm of, of what it is that's going on. So I so with all that being said, I think in that consensual environment that can be extremely sexy like absolutely much more so than like let's perform stuff and just pretend that we like this and mm -hmm. you know go through this thing that nobody is actually enjoying when i think there is that that pressure um being a man to to follow that script and like i've been watching a lot of how i met your mother Almost done a stupid show. I thought you were going to say porn. I've been <laughs> so watching a lot porn. of porn in quarantine. So oh my God. Pornhub premium. <laughs> and lots of people but Barney, uh, Barney Stinson from uh, How I Met Your Mother is that kind of like quintessential player um, type character. And I feel like there's, there's so much pressure to be that bro kind of archetype um, as a man. And, and real, like, I've never been a bro my entire life. Um, but to break away from that is, is really freeing. And I think it allows men to, to, to think about things in different ways. Also, I wanted to add Emily Nagoski. Um, if you check out her podcast as well, the feminist survival project, I'm addicted to that show and I love it so much.
She has a podcast. She does with her sister. I don't. I yeah. can finish podcasts. I just can't finish books. This is great. <laughs> <Yeah>. So after, <laughs> Emma, after you listen to this life. podcast, you can listen to her podcast. Perfect. I'm set. <laughs> I got my whole weekend, my my isolation <laughs> lockdown weekend planned. Uh, th- thank you for thank you for sharing that, Jeff. I I definitely relate to to what you say, and you know I think for for us, you know we're we're middle aged we're middle aged men, um, and I think for myself. I wonder if the same for you. I think it was only as it was only when I got older and you know um, learned to to find my own boundaries, learn to to find the people that that uh, I loved and trusted, that uh, I was able to finally start to to break free of of a lot of that those masculine scripts that we get taught, and you know we emulate yeah. what we what we what society teaches us and what pop culture teaches us um and it's only you know i wish i wish that a lot of this stuff that we've learned and stuff that uh, julie and emma has talked about i wish that i learned this younger because it would have yeah. made things so much easier in so many different ways i think it's partially due with age um realizing once you get into your you know late 30s um that you kind of start thinking a lot different and hopefully you grow up. Um, but I also think it's largely to do with culture right now too. I think this is stuff that we're now talking about. Um, whereas in the nineties, when I grew up, no one talked about this. No one talked about it at all. No one toxic masculinity was not a word that existed. <laughs> like, so I, I think that things are changing for the better and that we're getting a lot more in touch with our mental health and we're um, able to talk about more difficult subjects like this. At least I hope so. Uh, I was just going to say there is um, an essay that I found really fascinating that I read a couple of years ago called Why Men Are So Obsessed with Sex by uh, Steve Behrman, who I'm pretty sure is a psychologist. Um, And it's basically this theory that um, in our culture, men are socialized to like never express emotions uh, except for maybe anger, like be really aggressive, mm-hmm. be really strong, um, be athletic, like be in these sports where there's literally this kind of like when you are hurt in your sport and you feel pain, you must like man up and not express that pain. Um, mm-hmm. So in this culture, men having sex, like sex is the one place where men can be passionate, expressive, loud, uh, sensual, um, you know, it's like the one, the one place where intimacy and being held is okay. Um, and all of that stuff. And so, you know, his answer to that question of why men are so obsessed with sex is because it's like the one place where men feel like they're allowed to be themselves. I think that's changing a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. this essay was written a few years ago and I think it's getting a lot better in that way. But when you do have that socialization of just like, you know, you can't express yourself in any way except for sex, it kind of makes the puzzle pieces fit a little bit more around, you know, why, you know, men might be pushing so much to have those kinds of experiences, because it's the one place where it's okay to actually have some vulnerability. So hmm. I thought that That's was really interesting. That yeah. interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that at all. Oh, Jeff, uh, Jeff, when, uh, uh, when everything is all you know, back to as normal as it could, and back when, uh, uh, when, when we're allowed to go out and do things again. Uh, again, uh, if I want the government of Canada uh, to give both Julie and Emma all of the money to to travel and uh, and talk <laughs> about this, because uh, wow, I, uh, 
it's I'm sure Trudeau will listen to this episode and that will happen. <laughs> I know yes, he's that's right, yeah. <laughs> once he's uh, done the, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um wow, uh uh I feel wow, this has been a, a podcast uh recording that all I all I can really say is just wow. Uh and I Yeah, it's been amazing. I'm, and I, I really like the podcast where I get to just shut up. <laughs> I can just sit here and kind of listen and have two amazing guests that that I'm like I don't really need to do anything at all. <laughs> just sit here. Um, so I, I love being the fly on the wall for these type of episodes. The same with fear of abortion. I really like that. I was just able to kind of listen um, and take it in. Right. Thank Those you. Are the two episodes I was on. Maybe that just means yeah, I'm that's loud. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't shut up. I just like listening to Emma Cooper talk. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> No, but well, I, I, I appreciated what both of you said about, I mean, I think everyone on this podcast has made some mention of sort of masculine identifying folks being able to express their emotions as a piece of the puzzle. And there's so many pieces of the puzzle and we didn't name all of them. And there's so many, you know, there's so many experiences and identities, and all that sort of stuff. But that is a really big piece. And I'm really... I get really excited when I see even just guys on Instagram wearing different stuff or expressing themselves differently or whatever it is, you know, whatever little mm-hmm. pieces where you're like, yeah, we're just, we got, there's more moves. Like I even have a joke where it's like, I, I'm non-binary, but like, I don't think I could be a guy cause I cry too much. Like, what do you, like, if you're a man and you feel sad, like, you, what do you, like, if you're, no, if you're a man, you feel jealous, you can punch that guy. Cause punching a hole in the wall is the only thing you can do for your feelings. If you're a man and you feel you know, jealous that you can, you can punch that guy. Or like, if you feel grief, all you can do is like punch away your tears. Like you can't, there's no, like, there's no actual move. And I think I I know that we haven't had the ability to kind of talk about um, men's experiences as much because it's really been this process of like unearthing this like huge amount of trauma and hard stories and stuff that are largely carried by women identifying folks but not exclusively by any means um and and it's going to be interesting to be able to be like okay let's keep being able to hear those stories but let's also talk about all of these other pieces that are peripherally contributing to to this kind of this heart this thing that we're getting better at dealing at all the time like i think the progress is really encouraging and yeah and i really enjoyed talking with you guys today yeah. You. yeah, such a pleasure as always. <laughs> now, uh, speaking of continuing to hear stories, for our Fear of Science listeners who want to know more about about your great work here in Metro Vancouver and beyond, and also where they can find you online, uh, where can they find you on the social medias or your website? That's a great question. Uh, Emma Cooper Human at Instagram. Uh, so at Emma Cooper Human. Um, Oh, what's our rape is real at rape rape is real.ca. Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Google rape is real and everywhere comedy. Uh, and then it'll, it'll come up. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, otherwise I'm just going to be on zoom comedy shows around town until. <laughs> until back to normal. Normal. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> and for yourself, Julie. Yeah, and um, of course, I would really love it if folks would check out my book, which is called Want, uh, Eight Steps to uh, Recovering Desire, Passion, and Pleasure After Sexual Assault. And uh, you can get that anywhere books are sold, local bookstores or Amazon or wherever you are purchasing now. Um, And if you're interested in my yoga studio, it's oceanandcrow.ca. And we are now online on Zoom, so you can access us from wherever you are. Um, we're launching our online studio on Wednesday and hoping to eventually reopen in person, but we'll see how that goes. 
Um, and if you want to learn more about me, I do a lot of things. I have a lot of different hats that I wear. Um, jcpeters.ca is my website. Um, I'm at Julie JCP. I'm often on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's probably enough. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and for ourselves, Mr. Jeff Porter, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Science Fears. Uh, we also now have a Patreon as well, if you want to support us that way. Uh, Patreon.com slash Fear of Science. Yeah. Nice. Wonderful. Well, again, uh, thank you all very much for listening uh, and uh, learning with us. I've learned a lot, and uh, I can't wait to do this again soon. Uh, again, my name is Daniel Chai. And I'm Jeff Porter. And you've been listening to The Fear of Science. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>